Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Insights, conversations with today's storytellers. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Marie Villado. And you're listening to Archivos Insights. Archivos Insights is a podcast featuring conversations with the stellar luminaries of the storytelling firmament. We're all striving to refine and improve our storytelling chops, and what better way to do it than to ask amazing crafters of stories about their own process. Absolutely. And as always, every episode of the Archivos Podcast Network is brought to you by our sponsor, Archivos. I know, what a shock. Oh, wow. (laughs) The story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. Get your storyteller subscription subscription now at archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Ah, Marie Billado, <laughs> it seems like just a week ago that we were actually in each other's presence, embracing and swapping lies. I know, it was wonderful. It's like you were actually a person and not just a disembodied voice in my ears. <laughs> Indeed. Friend- I'd forgotten. I know, right? It's just a digital experience. That's all we do. (laughs) Friends, Marie and I had the distinct pleasure, along with several other individuals, uh, Brandon Crilly, Zigzag Claiborne, uh, Michael R. Underwood. Oh, my God. So many awesome people. Uh, Derek, uh, say his last name. Kunskin. Kunskin. See, I'll get that. I will. Uh, We were at the Confusion Convention in Detroit, Michigan, uh, uh, and it was just so much fabulosity crammed into a delightful three days of con going. And Marie, it was a delight to see you, ma'am. It was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got to do this, and I think we're going to have to do it again next year. I think so. I think so. And and if I can get off my butt and get ahead of things, we might actually be able to do a live recording of the Archivos uh, Podcast Network during Confusion since we're in the same room in the same world. I know we talked about doing it this time, and it just didn't work out. <laughs> next year, though. Well, we'll totally have it. This was a trial year. Exactly. First, we have to make sure we were still like... In human form and that we still existed in corporeal matter. And now that we're clear on that, next year we plan. Now that we have tangible confirmation of our each other's existences, we can move forward. Exactly. (laughs) Well, speaking of moving forward, do let's move forward with this recording of uh, Insights. Marie, we have a fabulous guest host uh, waiting in the wings. May I introduce you to her? I cannot wait. Please do so. Lovely. Lovely. Well, friends, if there's one thing that we've learned in the years that we've been doing this podcast is that there is no template for writerly backgrounds. I mean, you think there is, you know, writing as a child, loved libraries, D&D as a teenager, read Lord of the Rings, started submitting, got picked up, now an icon of genre fiction, yada, yada. Yeah, that never happens. Uh, There may be a few congruencies, uh, but really statistical averages are a crappy way to gauge creative relevance. Uh, Everybody's story is utterly unique. But friends, even amid the wild divergence of spec-fic author backgrounds, our guest host for this episode of Archivos Insights sets a high bar in the hold-my-beer department of backgrounds. Um, The word conventional will not be uttered in the next five minutes. Fair warning. Um, She uh, she grew up in Florida where she was co-raised by her grandparents and a biker gang. 
Now, that right there pretty much ensures that Storyteller is going to be encoded somewhere in your DNA. Seriously, the next time I roll up a character in a fantasy, urban fantasy role-playing game, that is totally going to be my background. I'm going to rock that. Uh, now, that kind of family dynamic may seem wild and strange, but to this day, our guest host cites her family as the true font of her writing. They are, and I quote, the wildest, weirdest, rottenest bunch of miscreants and lawbreakers that you'll ever meet, and they are collectively my muse. Now, she did indeed start writing when she was a kid, but only because she had so many stories bouncing around in her head. She'd dream them up in class and then share them at recess. She was constantly exploring fanciful worlds and bizarre what-if scenarios. So much so that she had to write them down just to keep track of them all. And that, my friends, right there is how you know someone's a writer. Everyone comes up with weird, exotic, fantastical worlds as a kid, but only a true storyteller would think they need to be preserved. She wrote her first short story when she was 10 years old. Now, while the other kids were hitting the beach, she was watching PBS specials on water shrews or reading Ursula K. Le Guin. Her, her thirst for knowledge was deep and her palate was vast. In 1998, when she went to college at Florida State University, she majored in biology, which started her down a 20-year adventure that would take her from Florida to Boston to the San Francisco Bay Area and ultimately Madison, Wisconsin, engaging in activities like semi-quantitative immunofluorescence and determining the zygosity of transgenic mice and other such wacky science shenanigans. Now, her first major publication was not speculative fiction, but rather a taut and riveting saga titled Transgenic Strategies for Combinational Expression of Fluorescent Proteins in the Nervous System, released in 2007 in Nature Magazine. I missed that one, uh, but I do need to go back and pick that one up. But friends, make no mistake, there was some serious science going on up in here. But through it all, from, from research assistant to research staff to consulting scientist, the stories were always a constant. She started her first novel a few years after graduating college. Never finished it, but she had the idea for a big story and took a swing at it. And she tried again when she was 30, and this time she finished it. Now, it hasn't been published, and it may never be, but she experienced that singular rapture of typing the end on a novel. And, of course, she's still reading voraciously and diversely. She, she's really enjoying series like Horatio Hornblower and, and Aubrey Matterin, that includes the Master and Commander uh, novel, and so on. She's serious enough about the pursuit of her craft that she's gathered a group of beta readers. Brutally honest beta readers, as it turns out, which really are the best kind. Uh, this one story that she writes, the only thing they enjoy about it was the dialogue and the action scenes. That's it. So, wanting to play to her strengths, our guest hosts started looking around for the types of books that had both. And hey, there was steampunk. Well, Okay, technically, she started a little more on the diesel punk end of the spectrum, but the science and weaponry were problematic in the context of the science she had developed for the airships. 
What? Did you think someone who has been a scientist for 20 years isn't going to come up with top-to-bottom legit science for her airships? Please. She was researching all the things. Everything from reading old War Department airship manuals from cover to cover to actually going up in a real Zeppelin, taking notes and doing her own calculations on ballast, horsepower, and the estimated top speeds of various airframe and engine combinations. And friends, she was digging it. By all accounts, much of this book that would become The Guns Above was written in a coffee shop with our guest host pounding down the soy lattes. The Guns Above was picked up by Tor Books and released in May of 2017, receiving a multitude of personal and professional accolades, including a Stabby Award nomination for Best Debut Novel and Barnes & Noble's Blogger's Favorite Reads of 2017. The sequel, By Fire Above, is currently slated for release in May of 2018, and by all accounts, this will be just the beginning of a whole new adventure for our guest host. Friends, she deals with writer's block by following these simple steps. One, self-loathing. Two, surrender to despair. Three, give up on writing career. And four, have a great idea in the shower. Your mileage may vary. If asked the question, anything else we should know about? She will quote obscure dialogue from the Fallout video game. And her concept of a fun idea is octorangutans, which, for me, considering she's a geneticist, is not a fun idea, but rather a horror story waiting to happen. Time will tell which of us is right. <laughs> Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, Robin Bennis. Robin Ma'am, I am so delighted that we were able to carve out a slice of each other's mornings uh, to be able to share some podcast airtime. I'm genuinely looking forward to delving into story with you. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, thank you, too. And thank you for sending all those uh, private detectives uh, to look at <laughs> my pen. Uh, I only spotted a couple of them. Uh, had a had a talk with one, um, oh. but uh, I think there were what about twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I can't really divulge the full actual number. And do let me know who you spotted because they need to be killed. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm okay, sorry. I'll this make is, a list. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> oh God. Um, actually, I I do. Before we start our actual conversation, Robin, I I want to ask you a very leading question. Oh dear. Uh, uh, and no, no, this is a question you're familiar with. Um. How many mansions did you buy with the money from this book? Oh, um, I guess about 0. .0001 mansions, uh, <laughs> somewhere in that neighborhood. <laughs> Very good. Very yeah. good. I, 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 I was looking at your, oh, I forget which interview it was, but you were talking about the your, your hunting of celebrities and <laughs> setting up the, the, the cryogenic freezing of those hunted celebrities so you could thaw them again and hunt them again, which I... I <laughs> I applaud that. Bravo. I I get into some weird places depending on what drugs I'm on. I do I don't I don't even remember that interview except in the most vague terms. I think I was on ether. <laughs> well, you know, without chemistry life itself would be impossible. It so. really yeah, that is true. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, look, let's 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 not bandy words or dwaddle any longer. I'm going to set the clock 
so we can start our 20 minutes with Robin Bennis. And and I have no doubt we will ignore this because this is going to be a great deal of fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've, I've heard a couple of your 20-minute uh, interviews. <laughs> they usually last about an hour. That's right. Heavy air quotes on the 20. We go 20-ish, 20-esque. You know, it's a ballpark thing. We're, we're artists. We're allowed to do you know, that. Who says time has to be linear anyway? Thank you. It's true. Yes. You know, that's it's, time is a lifestyle choice. Emphasis exactly. on choice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Robin, I'm. there's so much I want to ask you about and so many things I want to explore. Um, I, I think I want to start off with the idea of uh, applying research to a story, and specifically organizing your research, because you clearly uh, dug in deep as you're as you're as you're researching the guns above and, and that story world and and you're certainly not the first uh, guest host we've had on the show that has really kind of epitomized the the virtues of of deep deep research mm-hmm. but I'm because of all of that information that you tease out that you identify as relevant in some way shape or form to your story world that's got to be a mountain of data and I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners how, once you acquire this information, do you organize it in such a way that it makes sense to you as you go forward writing the book? That is kind of a tough one. Um, I'm not sure this is going to work for everyone, but I would say uh, spend two decades uh, (laughs) dealing with amounts of information that no human could possibly be expected to process <laughs> and get an instinct for it. Um, that is kind of the issue with uh, science today, in fact, in general. Um, I don't want to get off into like a weird tangent, but we produce just mountains of data where scientists a hundred years ago would strive to get an experimental result. We are just producing so much data on, you know, on, on these machines that, that we've developed and processing that data, the gigabytes or even terabytes of data that are produced, uh, for example, like with a, with a uh, DNA sequencing read uh, is a challenge in and of itself and computers are getting better at that, but they're still not great. It still takes a human being who can sit there and not necessarily remember every detail, but remember it well enough for the multiple choice, essentially, you know, have enough (laughs) uh, memory of the data that when something does come up, when there's that you know, half of first half of the Eureka moment, you remember back to that little bit of data that you collected in August of, you know, of last year. And you say, wait, uh, we got to go back. Uh, That's in that stack over there. (laughs) (laughs) That's in that folder. That's in that uh, hard drive that we left in San Diego. Someone get down there. (laughs) So it's almost like creating like emotional breadcrumbs where you remember the moment of excitement of discovering that bit of information about lift and drag on, on Zeppelins or what have you. And and you try and just recreate the scene of the crime, basically. I really do. I did not. Uh, I did not organize my research. Uh, I like I like to put little tabs in my research book so I can uh, go back, okay. and there'll be tiny little cryptic, uh, <laughs> you know, writing on the tabs. The, if, you're, if you're familiar with these, 
Uh, first of all, if you're not familiar with these tabs, you're garbage and you're dead to me. <laughs> um, they are these little plastic sticky tabs that you can put into, you know, books or your own notebooks. You can put anywhere. Um, you can put them on a door. You can put them on, on a roll of toilet paper. And, and you They're know. brilliant. <laughs> I live for these things. Um, and, you know, that's kind of, that is the height of my organization is writing like, you know, DRG on a little, you know, tab, sticking it in my research book. And then when I'm thinking about drag later on, I have to know that that's what that means <laughs> but you know 20 years in science that sure helps with sure. Uh, that sort of pattern recognition okay well and that actually i can see that making sense you know those, those plastic tabs or you know whatever tool mnemonic enhancer that 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 a, a writer would want to use yes but definitely just, you know whether you're color coding or or assigning you know three letter acronyms or or little lengthy little micro handman penmanship words on those tabs that makes sense because then you can at least scan amongst the mountain of research that you yeah. have done and and uh, be able to zero in on some relevant bit of 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 information how much mm. how much data did you acquire it, it just in square footage Oh, good. about uh, one shelf on my bookshelf is uh, is just dedicated to airbook air, air, airbook uh, <laughs> to airship uh, and uh, 19th century early 19th century military history books. And and these uh, these, these I, are D ring binders, right? That are sitting up there, <laughs> stock full. They're uh, they're mostly uh, primary and secondary sources. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't even go so far as the D rings. I it is all in its original unprocessed form, and when I need something, <laughs> it might take an hour to find it, but you know it'll be worth it. See, and then on down the road, as as this uh, the signal ship series reaches its twelfth and thirteenth novel, you're going to be able <laughs> to actually open a memorial library of yes. primary sources. <laughs> On, on By that time, I'll need a memorial library because <laughs> there will be so much information that my brain will will just cook itself. There you go. You'll, <laughs> you'll need minions to scatter through the archives. Go find this uh, obscure bit of miscellanea. Yes, ma'am, right away. You know, it's funny because that is something I've actually considered. I have thought about, you know, paying my unemployed friends to just kind of sort through this stuff. And it's like, I'm looking for something. Um, I think uh, it has something to do with aluminum. Can you find <laughs> it for me here's no. an entire bookshelf <laughs> take really some, the aluminum take some water here's a sandwich come back to me yeah. when you bring back the aluminum yeah awesome and, and and may i say i know it was a misspeaking but the concept of an air book has filled me with images <laughs> of this, this steam floating ballooned uh, a book holder that's just hovering in front of my face as i you know go about my day i think that needs to be a thing I love that. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Robin, very much. That's 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 actually very helpful. Marie, I'm going to turn it over to you, ma'am. What what questions do you have for Robin? Well, I had a lot floating in my head because I enjoyed reading through uh, your various blog posts and interviews, which you may or may not remember having done, which is totally cool. It's oh, part of the charm. <laughs> I will tell you this. When she says, I remember it like yesterday, she's lying. <laughs> Absolutely lying. <laughs> now I know um... we'll be back with more of our conversation with Robin Bennis after this brief promotional break Archivos the new story development application from WonderThink Studios 
will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Robin Bennis. So I, I thought I'd do, I looked at Dave's questions. I was like, those are really good hardball questions. I love them. So I thought I'd do a bit of a softer one, but <laughs> of great relevance because it's still early 2018, right? And probably a lot of people, according to my Twitter feed anyways, have taken up resolutions at the beginning of the year. And at this time, they're all falling to the wayside. Yeah, that's why I don't <laughs> even bother with that crap. <laughs> I take it up on a daily basis. <laughs> don't eat the chocolate. Don't eat the, okay, I eat the chocolate. Too late. <laughs> yeah. Too late. Yeah. Something so, like that that spans an entire year, that's just too much. That's uh, not I, that's not normal. It's not natural. And I'm against it. It hurts. I, I'm totally on board with you. But one of the things I loved about when you talked about your writing approach is the take no prisoners approach, which I absolutely adore. And one of the things I really found fascinating, which I hadn't really heard or can conceptualized that way before, if you will, it was about your um, creating space wherever you are and then respecting it. Uh, if you remember mentioning that in interviews, do you want to unpack that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, uh, in fact, I can uh, give you an example, uh, a oh, recent great. example from the new apartment that I'm living in in Madison. Uh, <laughs> I uh, made sure to get a two-bedroom apartment uh, for a fraction of what I was paying for a tiny little studio apartment in Mountain View. <laughs> and I have turned the guest room, the second bedroom, essentially into my office, yes. uh, which is not abnormal. You know, that's a thing that writers like to do. The writer's cave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I take this a step farther, though. I make it a sacred, holy place. Okay. Uh, I am not allowed to look at Twitter in that room. I may not uh, look at news websites or text on my phone or take phone calls. Ooh. That is against the rules. And I, I, I strictly uh, enforce that rule on myself. So it becomes, uh, it is in, in the process of being sanctified by these rules, and it is becoming a holy space. It's becoming a writer space. I notice every day when I walk in there, I'm a little bit more primed to write just by stepping into the environment, just by stepping through the door. It, it does something to my brain that primes it to get ready to write. It's almost a Pavlovian <laughs> response. Yeah. It really is, Yeah. And you did that just through discipline. <laughs> yes, that's the trick. That's the trick. That's You've impressive. got to enforce it. <laughs> you can't cheat. That's but the nice thing is once you, you know, as you have, every day that you spend not cheating in that particular <laughs> space, it gets easier because it becomes less and less of a Twitter space and that's a phone true. space. 
That's really smart. Now, now you wrote your first novel a lot in coffee shops. Can you use some of that logic there, or I I did, yeah. And I'm uh, I'm still writing in coffee shops. Madison is great for coffee shops. This has <laughs> nothing to do with your question, but I just got to put a plug in for Madison, Wisconsin. Yes. Um, coffee shops and cheese curds. Holy yes. God, the cheese curds. This is this was one of the best decisions I've ever made. <laughs> um, and I am building uh, an array of coffee shops that serve different purposes. I go into a little shop called EVP, which is within walking distance of my apartment, as long as it's not snowing. Uh, <laughs> if it's snowing, I might drive. <laughs> That's right. That is where I just get down to solid prose writing. If I need to kick out a chapter today, that's where I'm going. Hmm. Uh, and the same rules apply. Uh, no phones, no, uh, unless, unless I need them for research, uh, no Twitter, no distractions. Okay. Um, but wouldn't a coffee house be fraught with distractions with the public and the world and the windows and the pound, pound, pound and the hiss, hiss, hiss <laughs> and all of that? Yes. yes. Um, it is weird, though. I mean, that is that is how it should work. Right. But the human brain is made of nonsense. Uh, and I say this as someone who has studied neurobiology. Uh, I say this as someone who has looked at brains. Um, they make no damn sense. Uh, <laughs> they really don't. There is no rhyme or reason. I, I suspect what is happening here is it really is what I, I believe it was Bob Harris who, who may have coined the term like contextual learning. Mm. Uh, and, and essentially this was something that he applied to his appearance on Jeopardy. He went on Jeopardy and to prepare for going on Jeopardy, he recreated the Jeopardy studio in his living room. Oh, wow. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and while the other contestants were nervous and they were in a new environment and, you know, they had practiced, they had, you know, done their research and were, you know, practiced buzzing in, they were in a brand new place and they were scared. That sounds, you know, infantilizing, but, you know, there you go. That's the human condition. We're weird little animals uh, <laughs> and we get stressed and we get, uh, you know, accustomed to our routines and it and this is reflected in the architecture of the brain you know neural pathways that you use are reinforced and that includes suppressive pathways to to circle back around to the actual question that was asked it's uh, <laughs> a great journey keep going yeah. Yeah, really I'm, 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 I'm digging it i'm digging it you know there are there are neuronal uh cells in your brain that only suppress their only job is to stop other neurons from firing mm. uh, under certain conditions. Oh. And so, for example, if, you know, when I walk into this particular coffee shop, which is loud, uh, which gets really cold when people open the door next to me, um, <laughs> where, you know, there is grinding going on and chatting and the, you know, paging of newspapers, every day that I'm in there working, I am building the neural connections that associate that place with work. And I'm also building neural connections that suppress that noise and just right. turn it into a nice, quiet, white noise that, if anything, kind of helps me. I don't, know if, I don't know if you're picking this up, but my cat is going wild. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> 
We, we get that a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, the podcast has <laughs> that effect worry. on the feline physiology. And His cat is usually so calm, but as soon as I'm recording, he's... Recording a podcast. He's, oh, my God. Yeah, he's yeah. the happiest star. He's a furry little asshole. <laughs> 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 well, and, and that makes perfect sense. And I would imagine, Robin, that as you go into even a strange coffee shop, there are enough of those consistent yes. cues that you can, those suppressors automatically kick in mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. If I hear a grinding sound somewhere, I, I want to write, you know, that's. Uh... <laughs> well, it's interesting because ultimately bo- both the coffee shop and your, your sacred space are kind of gaming your nonsense brain. Absolutely, uh, yes. And affirming, you know, affirming the the sacredness and that reverence uh, of this place is for this. I have a, a muscle memory and an emotional memory mm-hmm. of creating here. And then also uh, the, the suppression of I don't need to worry about this, that, and these other 500 things allowing you to focus on what you're doing. That's yeah. awesome. It's neural hacking. Neural hacking, yes, it's the it's the new it's the new craze of of the new millennia, uh, and and I'm actually kind of not joking about that. That has been a lot of I think a lot of the discoveries that we've made about our psychology, our behavior, and, and our physiology and neurology uh, have all led us to be able to to hack physically, emotionally, and mentally yes. uh, our our way of life. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, really. I'm kind of gobsmacked and, and <laughs> reveling in this, the possibilities. Um, Robin, I, I, I've got to ask you, uh, uh, in, in an age of, of Me Too and, and raising awareness about uh, uh, feminist issues and, and equality and uh, advancing voices in the community, um, uh, the character of Ber- is it Bernat? Bernat, yes. Bernat. Okay, that's that's how he appears in my brain. That's another advocacy for <laughs> audiobooks. We can always yes. get the pronunciation of things correct straight from mm-hmm. the author's mouth. Uh, from Ber- the character of Bernat seems to be uh, 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 a, a minefield fraught with horror and peril and danger. <laughs> and yet, oh, yes. and yet. Uh, uh, you have executed this misogynistic, sexist. Fop, who by all accounts we should loathe and every time his name appears on the page we should like turn our heads and spit uh, as he comes in we love him yes and that uh-huh. is masterful and I just I need to just kind of sit back and say please ma'am explain <laughs> this alchemy of, of loathing and love into a single character you know again our brains are nonsense <laughs> uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> Uh, love and hate are not mutually exclusive. They are not uh, two sides of a spectrum. They mm. are each their own individual spectrum. And with Bernat, he is hard over on the hate side of the spectrum. <laughs> and I think he's hard over on the love side of the spectrum, too. Oh, God. Uh, if I, wow, if I could explain how I did that, I would probably make a mint yeah. selling <laughs> how to books. Yes, you would. Um, well, okay. Um, I'll give you one tip. Spend 20 years in biotech. Uh, 
<laughs> a lot of my tips seem to go back to that. I'm not sure if it is universally applicable. Life experience uh, is always applicable. Yeah. So. Uh, but there's a lot of assholes in biotech. Uh, <laughs> there really are. And uh, But there are a lot of really charming assholes in biotech. Because <laughs> they have to be. Otherwise, they would be kicked to the curb. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, they would not be able to go in front of, you know, venture capitalists and beg for money uh, and actually walk out the door with big, you know, bags with dollar signs on them. Uh, you have to be charming to survive, you know, at the high level in that industry. And you would almost think looking at it that you also have to be an asshole because that is a rather common, uh, <laughs> common, common character trait. Again, statistical averages, on the average, you know, four, eight out of ten scientists are assholes. Therefore, yes. science requires assholery. <laughs> yes. Causality. I, I feel like there's a paper somewhere, somewhere in there. Somewhere there, certainly. There's a there's a thesis. Yeah, I'll give you a co-author credit if you're interested Sweet. in collaborating. So, so your your life experience then, uh, uh, you you got to see these 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 charming assholes at play. So you had a template on which to build Bernat. I really did, yeah. And at at every stage, there is also the question of the moral event horizon. That's the big issue. Do not send him over a moral event horizon. Mm, okay. uh, and that. Uh, was more difficult than it might seem. You might think, well, yeah, just don't have him rape or murder anyone. And, uh, you know, he's not irredeemable. Uh, and yet, for example, while we were doing revisions on this, it's, um, you know, the plot requires certain choices and behaviors from the characters to make sense. And... There is a point, uh, no, no big spoilers here, but if you don't want any spoilers at all, cover your ears uh, for the next 10 seconds. There is a point <laughs> at which uh, it is revealed that Bernat has kind of done some nasty stuff to uh, Josette, and he regrets it, and he makes amends as best he can. In this particular tangle of... of three different plot threads, pretty much everything we did upstream in the story trickled down to this and screwed it up uh, and made it that much more difficult to give him a redemption moment that actually makes sense. Hmm. And it's, you know, it's just the kind of thing that you have to weigh and the thing that you have to stop and think about very carefully, uh, has this guy gone so far that you cannot but hate him? You know, because there are a lot of charming people who are just way too far over the line. Um, right. You, you cannot bring yourself to like them no matter how witty and funny and charming they are. And it was a difficult job Again, I wish I could tell you, give you some tips. I would, I would make a mint on the book, uh, <laughs> how to handle that. But I, you know, I guess I, all I can say is think about it and listen to your beta readers, and make sure that when you are doing revisions and plot revisions, you're always thinking about where this character is, what they're doing. Can they redeem themselves? Are they a charming rogue or just a charming, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh, with Burnett, 
a lot of that, again, very, very minor spoilers, cover your, cover your ears for the next 10 seconds if you don't want to hear them. Um, a lot of that was making, giving him a, a kind of goofy and oblivious uh, skin uh, to live in through certain parts of the book when he is very much the, the misogynist scheming jerk. And that, because we'll forgive goofiness. It doesn't make sense. Uh, we shouldn't because, you know, the harm is still done. It's not like, it's not like being goofy causes the, the harm that you do in the world to just, you know, magically go away. And yet there's something in the human brain that just wants to forgive, you know, the goofy and the, the, the dopey uh, person. And so I kind of gave him a skin of, of, of goofiness, of dopiness and of obliviousness uh, that he could wear through the parts of the book where he is just, <laughs> where he's, for example, sexually harassing uh, Josette. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you know that was that was a difficult part to to write for a lot of reasons, both from a writing craft perspective and from a personal perspective. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it, it it was just a very delicate balance. It was making sure that that obliviousness kind of covers the worst of the offenses to to neurally hack the reader uh, and trick them into not hating this guy. Uh, my apologies for tricking you, reader. Uh, <laughs> it's your job. It's your it job. It kind of is. Yeah, no. it is. Uh, a, a writer's job is to be manipulative with yep. uh, with other people's emotions. And, well, luckily, uh, my family history has prepared me for that, you know, brilliantly. <laughs> Apparently, but, but we're obviously we're all wearing <laughs> wires here, so we can't talk at length about that. Yes, so. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fascinating, Robin. Genuinely fascinating. The, the the notion of that that balancing act and and the evolution and the hacking and the clothing of a, a reprehensible character because yes is is. So wonderful because he's not an antagonist per se. He's more of a conflict character yes. th than an antagonist, and and that right there is is a balancing act, uh, a potent tool if it can be leveraged effectively, uh, but also a definite challenge for for any writer uh, to it really engage. Is. In. Was was that was it? Um, we're way over time, but was that was this a Three conscious time. choice? <laughs> yes, <laughs> nonlinear. We'll just flip the TARDIS and loop it back around. Yeah. Um, was 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 he a conscious choice? Did you know he was? going to be in the story as you read or as you as you sat down to write or did you evolve uh his 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 framework uh, as you wrote he uh was very much present from i wouldn't say from the earliest concepts of the book but almost as soon as i got serious about writing it burnett was there of course as as you know, I'm I'm giving you a, a look behind the veil here. Right. Uh, he was not called Bernat uh, at that time. I believe uh, in homage, aka theft, uh, <laughs> from the Aubrey Maturin series. I gave him the uh, working name of Machiclone, uh, and Josette was Fembry, uh, which I rather like. Uh, and he he developed rather quickly. Uh, as soon as I knew that I was going to have a strong female captain facing discrimination mm -hmm. in the Army Air Corps, mm -hmm. I knew that I had to make it personal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could not that. just be a vague, yeah. 
you know, a vague force, uh, orders coming down the line. It had to be personal. It had to have a face and it had to, you know, it had to be charming. Uh, you know, it had to be a snake, essentially. And, yeah. you know, Bernat's my snake. Oh, lovely. <laughs> lovely. Oh, geez. <laughs> Guys, the clock has actually mounted uh, an airship, and and I'm it's turning broadsides, and this does not bode well uh, for me or my equipment. I can only assume this means that we have traversed once again the boundary of temporal restriction. Damn us anyway, uh, Robin. This this has been a genuine delight. My brain is full. My heart is fuller. Thank you so very much for making the time. And thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing me to trick you into having a full brain and a full heart. <laughs> I, I've been hacked. I've been hacked by Robin Bennis. Sorry. That's going to be a t-shirt. I Oh, Marie, I, I can hear your, your clockwork gears churning just as quickly as mine are. Uh, <laughs> there was so much goodness out there. What, what are you taking away at the top of your, your writer's toolbox to pack away from this one? Uh, you know, there was, there was so much and it was so hard to pick one thing, but I think I the thing I love, it was, it was rich. I love the richness. It's so warm <laughs> and comforting on this cold day. But um, I think the thing I'm going to take away from it is that you know, the brain is weird, but it's a tool and you mm. can learn to hack your own tools. Yes. And I like that. I think that's an important reminder for all of us as we try to get through our days and get all the things done that we want to get done. Absolutely. So I, I quite love that. Yeah. I, I think as writers, we tend to, to lean towards the superstitious uh, mm -hmm. uh, in some way. And we're looking for, you know, superstition is just a, an unconscious hack. Uh, and when you shift that around and make it a conscious thing, you you become a, a literary wizard, as it were. Exactly. Uh, so. Screw the muse. Use the wrench instead, my friends. <laughs> Screw the muse. Use the wrench. There's another one. That's hashtag Marie Billado words. I love it. <laughs> indeed. indeed. And, and I'm with you. There was... A, so much gold to be mined in those words. Uh, the the airbook idea, I'm actually going to jump in and say, you know, Dave Robison, trademark 2018, <laughs> pending, Reg US, pat off. Uh, I'm going to make that a floating airbook. It's got to happen. But the notion of uh, uh, a moral event horizon really kind of caught yeah. in my brain as well. Uh, because you hear, you know, I've, I've read a lot of books on screenwriting, screenplays. And, you know, if you make your, if, if, if animals love your hero or if your hero does something for animals, they gain like hero points mm -hmm. uh, in the audience's <laughs> mind. Uh, and, and the same must be tried. I'd never consider it, but it makes perfect sense. The same must be held true for our conflict characters and our antagonists. And, and that moral event horizon is the difference, the tipping point between uh, uh, an, un an irredeemable antagonist who will be a worthy uh, foible and, and foil nemesis for our prota protagonist and the conflict character who will test our character but ultimately uh, advance him or her uh, in their in their ultimate evolution and revelation as a worthy hero. That <laughs> that terrain that that continuum uh is something again it's 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 putting it in my consciousness now whereas before we all kind of it's all squishy and you feel it uh, uh and it's still there's still squishing and feeling going on but at least you have a a, a continuum of awareness to to squish on i'm gonna let you're that making this sound so dirty i, I know, love it right? i'm letting it go i'm not, I'll, 
I'll fix it. PG rating. PG. PG dude. Don't go squishy. PG dude. Oh God. Well, friends, here here's the awesomeness. I'm I'm sure that you are all a Twitter and and a gog and and other words that start with a. That that over the last twenty esque minutes of conversation, here's the fabulosity of the Archivos Podcast Network. Come back in seven days. We will have Robin back. Marie will be back. Thank Seven days. Dave will be back. We will add to that uh, delicious algorithm a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who will set the table for a brainstorming feast. And we will dive in. We will eschew eschew, uh, forks and and cutlery. We are going to dive in with our hands and feast deeply and savagely upon this awesome, awesome story brainstorm. But, oh, wow, it's seven days. That's a long... Long damn time. Marie, help us out. What 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 can our <laughs> listeners do between now and a whole seven days from now to make that time just, just whiz by on the wings of Hyperion? <laughs> well, I'm going to vote that you, for the next seven days, learn to start hacking your own brain again to get that writing finally done. Yeah. So just decide what you're going to do, where you're going to do it, and when you're going to do it, and do it, and put that phone down, put that Twitter away, do not talk to anybody, focus on that page or that screen, and get the words done. Yes, right. Let's hack those brains. Hack those brains, and and create that sacred space. Respect Mm -hmm. yourself and your craft to the point where you can create a, a reverent creation zone. Uh, uh, yeah, and then, and then make it portable so you can do that anywhere. Yeah, the, take it out of the squishy space and put it into real space. <laughs> this is, this is getting the dirty word. again. There we go. There oh, we go. Taken. And friends, I will tell you as I always do that you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look for the holy crap. Uh, look for the I really didn't expect that there. Uh, and if you look for that stuff, I promise you, friends, you will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> this episode of Archivos Insights is copyright 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Insights was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, Visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash archivospodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.